and welcome to Children's Friendships Matter, a podcast about children's friendships post-COVID-19. In this episode, Dr Karen Carter talks to Deputy Head Teacher Richard Owen. This episode delves into some of the friendship issues that emerge for children, teachers and parents today. Why are friendships so important during primary school education? How do schools support children's friendships? How is play integral to children's friendships? Why is emotional regulation important for children's friendships? And how has COVID-19 impacted upon children's friendships? So I'm here at uh, Montini Primary School um, with Richard Owen. Hello. So welcome to the podcast. Ah, thank you very much. Thanks for coming. I think listeners are always really interested in hearing a little bit more about guest speakers. So could you tell us a little bit about your background, your your journey into teaching and your role? Born in Sheffield. I was born in uh, Stannington, Sheffield. Uh, grew up around Stannington and Rivlin. Loved primary school. Absolutely loved primary school. Um, and always had a desire to be a teacher, but just didn't realise it until I was about 22. So I kind of did lots of other things after after secondary school, went to college, did things with art, things with photography and music. And then my dad said to me, you need, you need to get a job. So I went into teaching, went into primary school teaching at 22, I qualified at 25, and then I got the job here at Montini. And I've been here ever since. So started in Y2. I initially thought I was going to be a Key Stage 2 teacher, and that's what I was set on. Got the job in Y2 and loved it. And I spent most of my career in Key Stage 1. Absolutely love working with the, the younger children. I love working with all of the children, but it really suited me working with the younger children. Started as the music lead in school because I had a bit of a, a musical background. I'd been in bands when I was younger. We were rubbish. Um, a few years after that, I became the maths lead, so part of the leadership team. A few years after that, I became the assistant principal. And then in 2015, I became the deputy principal, which soon to be changed to deputy head, because we're changing the, the titles. So I lead on inclusion, safeguarding, behaviour, work across our trust of schools as well, delivering things like team teach and um, just supporting teachers, supporting staff in de-escalating behaviour situations, working on inclusion to make sure that children are getting what they need. Just when you were talking then, obviously this podcast kind of focusing around children's friendships yeah. and it made me think when you were talking then about, you know, relationships mm. and this, your role probably, uh, I might be putting words in your mouth here, so correct me if I'm wrong, yeah. but there'll be an element of your role that will be about developing relationships with staff mm. and and that sort of, as well as the children. Absolutely, yeah, you hit the nail right on the head. I think the, the key thing about schools, primary schools, any, any form of education, in fact, society as a whole is all about relationships and positive relationships. Talking about the staff just briefly, I think our staff team, we have a wonderful team here, and that's because we place a lot of emphasis on it being Team Montini. As you've, you've gone around our, our school, you, you get that feel of, of, of our staff team. You've been in our staff room as well and you, you can see um, that it's really important that our staff come together 
to be together so they can get things off the chest, they can talk, but they can develop those, those relationships um, with each other. So that when things do get a bit challenging, as they will do in, in schools, that they feel that there's someone there to support them. So that, that team ethos, it kind of runs all through school. More importantly though, the relationships with children is, is so important. Relationships with families as a whole, with parents as well. I think sometimes we can touch on this a little bit later, but the relationship with parents is something that you need to get right because that really, really has an impact on how well the children do in school. Relationships with the children, we, need to, we develop those straight away. So as soon as the children come in in the morning, there's somebody on the gate to greet them, try to, to um, know their name as well so they feel included. I always think back to when I was at um, secondary school and something that still sticks with me is my secondary school was large, over a thousand children, and I was in year eight um, at the time. And the head teacher knew my name. I was walking down the stairs and he said, Morning, Richard. And I thought, how does he know my name? Because I wasn't, I didn't stand out. I wasn't in trouble. I wasn't a high flyer, but he knew my name and I, that still sticks with me now. And it, it kind of, it, it gave me that sense of belonging and that sense of, yeah, yeah, I am included in this. They do, they do know who I am. And I, I think that's, that's key. We need to know the children. We need to know who they are, what makes them tick. And that those relationships are just absolutely key. You know, when you come into the school, you can feel that, you know, there's a welcoming feel. It's just there. There's a presence, you know. And you, like you said, when we've, when we've looked round, we've gone in the staff room, you can tell that, that there's that sense of, well-being or considering the well-being of staff yeah. and and I think that's so important in terms of you know role modeling for children mm. isn't it that we're not we're not just thinking about the children we're thinking about the bigger picture yeah. and the the families and the community and so yeah. on so so important that is really really important the, the role modeling of, of emotional regulation that's and that's something that we are keen to develop and something that we place a, a huge emphasis on. The, the well-being of staff is, I think that's paramount at the moment as well. With um, recruitment crisis and retention crisis, we need to make sure we're looking after our staff. It, it's a, a journey we're on at the moment. It's something that we are trying to make better and better and constantly trying to strive to, to try and make sure that the staff feel that they are looked after. We've got a wellbeing committee at school at the moment. We have access to listening services where staff can kind of book into just to talk to somebody and they'll listen, they can kind of get things off the chest. We kind of pride ourselves in our doors always open as well. So we're, we're all in it together. And just going back to what I was saying about the parents too, I think, I think that's the same for parents. The door's always open. We're always open to, to speak to, to parents, open to help parents. The door's always open for the children as well. Children are the most important people in school. Um, so that's why we need to make sure that they see that everybody in school is there to help them. We're, we're all, all the same in that, in that regard. Just thinking about, you know, around, again, going back to children's friendships. And in this school, you've kind of got nursery to to Y6. So what age phase would that be? How old would the youngest and your oldest children be? So the youngest children are from three in nursery and the oldest children are 11. So you can see there's a wide range of interests that the children will have. 
having said that, the things that the children do at three, you will see on the yard, because we've got our imagination station where there's lots of role play, the Y6s will engage in the same play that the three-year-olds do as well, which is really, really interesting. And that is something that we need to promote more and more. Just the other week, there were two Y6 lads who had gone to the imagination station. They didn't think anybody was watching them and they dressed up in these coats and they're parading around. They were having the time of their life. And it was so good to see. It was absolutely brilliant to see. We've been and looked at playtimes today and you'll see how how relaxed the children felt at playtimes, how they were engaging with one another. They were playing, they were smiling. And I think that's that's one of the, the, the key things that, that school does. It, it encourages that positive play. Now, the other way around, you wouldn't want three-year-olds doing the things, that the, the, the interests that the 11-year-olds have. So we really lose out, I think, uh, when we, we move away from the foundation stage and that approach. I'm really glad that you've mentioned this, Richard, because play is so integral to children's friendships yeah. and children's well-being. I was reading something the other day from uh, Blatchford and Baines, and they've done some research on the playground when we're talking yeah. about playtimes, and they've been looking at the decline of playtime. They've looked at survey data over a number of years, like a kind of longitudinal study, and what they were finding is that playtimes are being reduced, the amount of time that's available for playtime. And the, one of the things that kind of, I was quite shocked actually, because I was thinking us as adults, we get breaks through the day. Um, and there's legislation around people have to have breaks at certain times. But actually, there's no legislation that says children have to have playtimes. So if a school said there's going to be no morning playtime, there's going to be no afternoon playtime, that could happen in theory. Good. There have been in some schools a move to reducing the playtime because there's such a lot of the curriculum to get through. That made me think about children's opportunities for developing their friendships. Mm. And most of the friendship development, particularly once children reach sort of compulsory school age at five, there's less opportunities to develop those friendships or to have free play to sort of play the games and the things that you want to do and explore with your friends. So I thought actually from therefore from five, there's that, if there's gonna be that reduction in play, I just wondered what your thoughts were around that. It's interesting, I've got two, uh, well, a few thoughts about that. The reduction in play times, we have reduced the amount of time that the children have at play, but, but that's based on our data in school. Break times in the morning, the children have 15 minutes at 10.15 to 10.30. Just going back to your point as well about schools not having to give break times. It's not in school's best interest to do that at all. Like you say, we all need a break. We all need to let off steam. And that's the children's opportunity to do that. So they have the, break, the morning break. At lunch times, they used to have an hour. But we had found that there were more and more behaviour incidents in the last 15 minutes of lunchtime because the children had been out there quite a while and they'd been spending a bit too much time and things, they started to fall out with their friends. So we reduced that. So the children have 50 minutes now. What happens is they, they have 45 minutes out there and then for the last five minutes, the teaching staff go out onto the yard. 
So if there are any issues, what they can do is they can help to regulate the children, they can help to sort out any of the issues, they can communicate with the midday staff. So anything that happens on the yard doesn't come back into the classroom so that the children are ready to learn. I think it's also about the quality of the play as well. No matter how long they have, they could have two hours. If the quality of the play isn't very good, then those interactions aren't going to be built. So you need to make sure that you're, you're meeting the children's needs, you're doing the things that they're interested in, you're putting things out there that the children are interested in. So you could use pupil voice for that, your school council, to make sure that you're doing what the children need. In terms of playtime and opportunities for that, I think that play and social interaction and talk and communication is it's one of the most important things that we do as a primary school. And I think that there's been a move away from that a little bit in terms of what's happening in the classrooms. So you'll see how happy and relaxed the children were at playtime earlier. We've seen that there's been a rise in anxiety of children ending playtime and coming into school. Those transitions from play to coming in to do their traditional learning in school, because I think playtime is learning too and, and really important learning. We have a lot of anxiety around that. And that's where you have your behavior issues, not on the yard, not at playtimes. We see fewer and fewer of those. There's the odd thing from time to time, but less, less than before. And I was kind of thinking when you were saying about the children are really relaxed outside and then there's some of those issues when you transition. And I just wonder whether some of these issues are because children haven't had as much opportunity to engage with their peers. You know, we had this unprecedented period where children couldn't be with their peers. They were socially isolated. And now they've come back. And, and for some children, there's probably two years where they've got a gap and they haven't had those opportunities. And maybe, maybe this is part of, you know, children telling us they need more of this, you yeah. know? I, I absolutely agree. I think when we first went into um, lockdown and it was restricted opening in schools, then the first period of that I think was quite positive actually, because there was a period of time where everyone was like, we're all in this together, we can all do it. And there were, people were making those connections on Zoom and it was great and it was, not, it was interesting and it was, it was something new. Novelty. Yeah, absolutely, it was a novelty. But I think as that went on, it became something that people were over-reliant on. Even now, when I do meetings, most of the meetings with external professionals are via Zoom. I much prefer meetings when they're face-to-face. -face. I think you get so much more out of the meetings, they're more productive. And that's what happened during lockdown. Children didn't have time to get together. They didn't have time to come to school and play. They didn't have time to just be out and play with one another. They didn't have time to go to parks. All of the parks were shut down. I remember all the swings being taken down. So a lot of children, we, we find that they struggle with their core strength. They struggle with their movement because they've not had those opportunities to develop that by swinging, by holding things, by climbing, because they didn't do that because they had to be indoors. Maybe they've missed out on those kinds of experiences. Maybe that's something that they need to do to emotionally regulate their, and they've missed out on it. I think the increase in screen time as well is a huge 
limiting factor in children's relationships. If somebody's on the screen or you're playing a game on the screen or you're doing learning on the screen, you don't get those social cues, you don't get those interactions, you don't read body language, you don't read facial expressions, and that is absolutely key. That's, that's almost a fundamental thing. If you can't speak a language, you can't write a language or read a language, if you go to a foreign country, you can communicate through body language, can't you? Mm -hmm. Facial expressions without being able to speak the language. I think that's something that some of our children are missing. They don't get those social cues, they don't know when somebody's feeling like something, they don't empathise with other children. With it being online as well, everything's so instant. The children haven't learned to be patient either. And why would you need to be when you've got the internet and you can have anything you want as soon as you want it? So those interactions and the friendships, you do need to have an element of patience and taking turns. They don't do that because they, why would they need to? Everything's on demand. They can have what they want when they want it. It's at their fingertips if they've got a screen in front of them. Whereas if they've got the friends in front of them, that's a bit more challenging. It's a bit difficult, isn't it? Because you've got to read somebody's body language, you've got to listen to them, you've got to cooperate. The point you made there about the importance of those social interactions, and just recently I've written a chapter that talks about parents' perceptions of their children's friendships during COVID and during the lockdown and return to school. Interestingly, one of the parents in that study talked about they felt they could support children with the academic learning, but they said what they found challenging was plugging the gap socially. This particular parent had two children so there was the sibling relationship mm. but it's it, they were saying it's kind of not quite the same as your friendships in school so I just kind of wondered what you thought in relation to that that sort of is that something that you notice you can't replicate school at home in terms of the social environment there are things that you can access on screen um, or parents can have an idea of how to teach children to read. We encourage parents to do that anyway. They, they are helping us to teach their children to read by reading with them at, at night times or they might have homework to do over the weekends. What they can't do is have 30, 100, 400 children over at their house so they have those social interactions and that is so, so, so important for schools. When children are at home, by and large, depends how many children you've got, they are the centre of your attention. So what they need, they get straight away. When they're at school, they are in a class of 30, so their needs cannot necessarily be met straight away. So again, it goes back to those kind of characteristics of, of being a, a well-rounded individual of sometimes you have to wait your turn for things. We're finding now that children can't do that. Um, and the children that do have challenging behaviours because they can't have what they want straight away or they can't do what they want or what's on their agenda. That's where we have those the, the struggles at the moment. So just coming back to this sort of focus of friendships and you've said, you know, your school ranges from three to 11 years. I just wanted to ask you what benefits do you feel children get from having friends in school? It helps develop them. They have shared interests. They can learn new interests. So children learn from one another. I know we're, I'm a teacher in school, but the children learn so much from one another. 
in terms of the things they do in the classroom, the things they do out of the classroom. Lots of children are exposed to other kinds of interests through other children as well. So it could be that they join a football team or they join a, a choir group or a dance activity out of school because of them being exposed to that because other children have experienced that. So that's what they get from friendships. It also helps with their self-esteem. Feeling included and feeling part of something, a bit like Team Montini with our staff, that helps children's self-esteem and their sense of well-being. So being isolated in COVID, that had a detrimental effect to that. That sense of community is something that, that children thrive on and that they need to be in school. I often say that children come to school to learn to read and write, do maths, but also just to be around one another and just how to interact with one another. It's so important that children have friends. really interested in the sort of pastoral provision that you have in school and how you support children's friendships and well-being. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Since I started here a long, long time ago, we've always had a pastoral team. So it's consisted of a learning mentor or senior learning mentor and pupil support assistants. Currently, we have a senior learning mentor and two pupil support assistants. Uh, we also have play workers too, those are members of staff that support play at break times. They also support children that might need a more play-based curriculum during learning time as well. They might also listen to children read as well. But our pastoral team are vastly important to our school. If we didn't have a pastoral team, we would really, really struggle. It's about engaging with our community as well. So it's engaging with parents. So making sure that our pastoral team are available um, for parents to talk to if they've got any concerns and, and any worries. Having said that though, we do have a, a, a team that is dedicated to that, but the wider ethos of school, we're all part of the pastoral team in a sense in that we're all trained to, to support children's learning through uh, emotional regulation. We all use the zones of emotional regulation to help children articulate their feelings, but also to help find out what they need to do to make themselves feel a bit better if they do call it have a big feeling so if they're angry or frustrated or they're feeling impatient so we kind of role model that as well for children and we find a lot of the times we need to teach down regulating activities rather than up regulating activities really interestingly mentioned this sort of emotional regulation because i guess really that's that's got to be in place then for children to be able to interact with others and you mentioned did you say emotional regulation zones? Could yeah. you tell us about what that is? So that, that's an approach used by lots and lots of different schools. It's an approach that um, was first, uh, I think it came from America. So the zones of emotional regulation are broken down into four zones. Uh, there is the blue zone, uh, there's the green zone, there's the yellow zone, and there is the red zone. They're displayed in like a ladder. So the blue zone's at the bottom, that's when you might be feeling tired or slow or feeling a little bit sad about things. The green zone, that's when everything's okay and you're ready, feeling good, feeling positive. The yellow zone is when you might be feeling a little bit anxious, a little bit wiggly, a little bit excited. Uh, and the red zone is when you feel mad and angry. You might be shouting and you, you're losing, losing control. So it helps our children to articulate how they're feeling because not only is it in words in the visuals that we've got, but there's also 
visuals from imprint as well so that it helps the children to say yes i feel yellow or i feel red or i feel green linked to that we have things called a toolkit so if you are feeling a certain way what are you going to do to regulate your emotions we say that there's no wrong zone to be in so sometimes you do need to feel in the blue zone good example you need to feel sleepy when you're going to bed so you need to be in the blue zone so that's a good zone to be in at bedtime the green zone i think there's a focus on oh i've always got to be in the green zone all the time nobody's in the green zone all the time nobody feels okay all the time just this morning i'm sure we've all felt a range of emotions but because we're adults we're able to regulate our emotions we've developed um, techniques to help us regulate even when we're in the yellow zone that's okay Christmas morning, you want to feel excited. It's fine to be in the yellow zone. Red zone, you can feel angry at, at times. There are things that you do need to feel passionate and angry about. But it's what you do when you're feeling like that and how to regulate your emotions. So there's lots and lots of things you'll see on our corridors where you can push against the wall. That's for when you've got the, the big red and yellow feelings. Um, you'll see there's like uh, computer keyboards for children to type the names in on the wall as well. They can do kind of like jumping jacks. That's when you're feeling a bit blue. You might do a bit of exercise. Just this morning, there was one lad in Y4. His mom had a word with me, said he struggled to, to get up this morning, not feeling great. So I've taken him for a run around the, the yard, done a bit of exercise, a uh, bit of activity with him. And you could see that he was feeling a lot more positive, a lot more woken up. So it's just those kinds of subtle things that you, we need to kind of change to help children emotionally regulate. We all do it, we all do, but we need to be a bit more explicit with the children of, I am doing this, I am feeling like this, so I am doing this. We do it all the time. It's not like a standalone lesson. We're always using the zones of emotional regulation. We're always role modeling how to regulate. We're always kind of being role models with our body language. So open body language, our facial expressions, making sure that our facial expressions are calm. And it's kind of, we talk about the, it's almost not a blank expression, but we don't judge behavior. And it's the smiling eyes and it's not with our hands in our pockets or hands behind our back. You can see our hands, we've got an open body, body language. Myself, I always make sure I'm really, really aware of uh, my body language. I'm quite tall, I'm six foot seven. So I, I work with lots of children that are quite small and not quite six or seven. So if I am stood next to a child and I'm talking to them, they're looking up at me and it's uncomfortable for them. So I make sure, especially with children that are in a high level of distress, I do not go close to them because that is gonna make it a lot worse for them. I talk calmly from a distance that makes them feel a lot more comfortable. So it's just about being aware of yourself in space as well to help those children emotionally regulate. That's amazing. You know, it really shows how you tune into children and, and listen to them and think about what they need. And, you know, the example of somebody coming in feeling a bit tired and needing to do a little bit of exercise. I think that's just amazing. We know of the pressures that schools are under, but actually still to be able to make that time to sort of you know, you know children are going to struggle if they've come into class and they're going to straight into learning, but to make that time to tune into children and just give them what they need at that moment. And I think it's really fabulous as well to sort of say, it's okay to be angry. It's okay to be feeling blue. And I think 
sometimes in society there is that everybody has to be green all of the time and it's unrealistic isn't it and and I think you know the way you respond to children I'm sure I could imagine (laughs) that children can support one another in the way that you role model supporting them you know so if your friend's feeling a bit anxious today that you can kind of tune into them as well and sort of say you know don't worry it's going to be fine or let's do this to help you or you know and again, that role modelling, which I think probably helps with friendships. Yeah, and that, that links into our values as well. So we have a, a list of values at Montini. Um, and just this last week, I did uh, an assembly on empathy. So uh, we talked about when children or friends might be struggling and trying to think, well, it must be difficult for them at this point in time. We might not have experienced that ourselves, but we can see it's difficult for them. We can see that they might be feeling in that zone. So how do we respond to them? and making sure that children treat each other with dignity and respect. I think that's really important, us role modeling that in schools so that children can see that. Gone are the days where you would be shouting at children because if you shout at children, they are just gonna get angry and they're just gonna shout back or they're gonna get less open to talking about things with you. But going back to the uh, checking in with children, one of the great things about our office team as well is Sometimes children are late, and for me, I hate being late for anything. I would rather be an hour early than two minutes late. If I'm walking into something and it's already started, and I have to walk in, I'm excuse me, sorry, I'm trying to find my seat, I feel so self-conscious, and then I'm going into the yellow zone because I'm feeling anxious and I'm not comfortable. I've not had time to select my seat because I like to sit with nobody behind me. Um, I like to be able to see everything so I, I it's about me knowing myself so that's why i like to be early some children don't have that option because they don't choose when they come to school parents bring them to school so if they're late and they have to walk into walk into class late the last thing they want when they come through the the main doors is the office team going why are you late not late again so our office team is so positive they they are so welcoming they are so friendly with children and it's not, they don't uh, accuse children of being late. It's brilliant to see you, great to see you this morning. There's a, a number of children that sometimes are late with additional needs because some of the, they might have struggled to, to get ready in the morning and they love our office team. They give them a hug, they, the children actually say that they love the office team and that, that start for them in the morning is absolutely key. And I think that, checking and and just those tweaks to to things really, really can change a child's day. Um, One of the the things in the training that uh, we do is a dot on the page. I don't know if you've heard of it. So you have a big A3 piece of paper, you put a dot right in the middle, and then you ask the people, what can you see? And they obviously the dot. But obviously there's the dot that takes up a tiny, tiny bit of the page. You can see a big page as well. So it's not just looking at what you can see in front of you straight away. The child that's come in late, you don't know what kind of morning they've had. Are they in the red zone? Are they in the yellow zone? Are they in the blue zone? So if you are welcoming and friendly with them straight away, that helps them to think, oh no, it's, it's okay. I'm somewhere safe. So that can help support them. They might not have had a terrible morning, but I know if <laughs> with my own kids, if we're running late, I'm not at my best, I'm not saying, Oh, don't worry, it's okay. Let's just put on. I'm like, come on, let's go. So I'm hurrying them along and that's gonna cause them stress. It's gonna cause me stress. So 
I would imagine, because we're all human, that parents have had something very similar in the morning. The last thing children want is to be accused of being late. So that, that's key. A start in the morning that's positive from our office team is really important to how we, we set the tone for children's days. Mm. And then that's the kind of that, that feeling of well-being when you come in, isn't it? I was just thinking about that idea of attendance and the link with, you know, if, if you've had a bad morning, there might be a tendency to think, I'm not going to go because I'm going to get told off when I get there. I'll just not go today. Mm. Whereas actually, if you know, actually, I am late, but I'm going to get a nice welcome. Better late than never. Yeah, yeah. We've talked a little bit about COVID and obviously I'm thinking about this cost of living crisis. And do you feel um, now in these new times that there are particular challenges or adaptions that you need to make in terms of supporting children with friendships and well-being? Yeah, massively, massively. So our pastoral team, that uh, we, we've had to deploy those differently. Five, six, seven years ago, our pastoral team would be supporting groups of children that might have friendship issues, disagreements, that, that kind of thing. Uh, we could run a, a series of interventions for those children over a number of weeks. But as the children that we're, we have in school have far more complex needs and there aren't the services externally to support them, our pastoral team uh, are having to be deployed to support those children. So the pastoral element of things falls onto class teachers. So with class teachers having to be that, almost that pastoral kind of running interventions kind of thing, but also teaching the curriculum. I think there's two agendas at the moment. There's the, the kind of curriculum and, and this kind of, we need to be moving this way. We need to be rapid with what we're doing. And then there's the wellbeing agenda and teachers are in the middle of that at the moment. So they've, they've got people like me saying, you need to be doing this, or you need to be doing this as well, or you need to do that as well. And oh, oh, by the way, there's another thing here that we need to be doing, it's just too much. So we need to make sure we are focusing on relationships, friendships, and interactions. If you try and spread yourself too thin, you're not gonna do anything well. It's gonna have a detrimental impact to children. We talk about children's outcomes. The outcomes they should be getting is, that they know how to function in society as they leave primary school. Yeah, it's, it's challenging times at the moment. Yeah, that's really interesting. And interesting that you're saying about making the adaptions, you know, that you're responding to the situation. So it kind of draws us to, to my final question, really. And um, it's been really interesting talking to you. And I just wondered at this point if you've got any, it might be a take-home message or a reflection or a question or a thought that you want the listener to take away from this podcast. I think we need to let children be children and make mistakes and have fun and explore and make sure that our curriculum is irresistible for them. Our children in, at Montini, that's one of our key drivers, Oracy making sure that our children are talking, because if they are good talkers, and then, then they can write. You, you can't write anything down if you, you can't talk about it. So at the moment, I think that the curriculum, it needs to, to change. It needs to be fit for purpose. Children change, generations change. You think about the children in the 50s compared to the children in the 60s, very different. 
compared to the children in the 70s and what they experienced, very different. Then to the 80s and the 90s, and every generation, children change. And I feel at the moment we're looking back, back at something and trying to catch up on something when we should be looking forward. And that's what we need to be doing, looking at careers that might be happening in the next 20, 30, 40 years. You look at the things with climate change and is that that's something on the agenda? We do need to be looking at that and, and the other industries that we need to be thinking about of making sure that children can be educated to, towards working in that. I think that, yeah, looking forward and adapting to the children now and their needs now and what they're interested in now with the kind of generation where everything's on demand, you can get everything instantly. <laughs> we need to make that our curriculum more tailored towards the, the children in that it's irresistible for them not to be in school and they want to be in school and they want to learn. There was something I heard about, uh, I was on a podcast um, a few weeks ago uh, about somebody saying that schools teach children to remember when they should teach them to think. And I think that's what we need to do. The example I gave the, the other day, that I think as we were walking around, there was a lad that struggles with his learning. He'd made some fans. Um, he made a, a fan out of paper because it's hot outside at the moment. And he tried to say, he said, destroyed uh, you can buy this for a pound. I was like, well, I haven't got any money. I'm sorry, I don't have any money. Okay, a house point. All right, okay, you can have a house point for that. And that's him. He's, he's kind of seen that there's a need. He's kind of interested in creative things. And he, that's his learning. So he's learned about, about kind of talking to people and compromising with people, which he has compromised there. But then the next day, he made a fan out of card because it was a bit more sturdy and it was a better one. So he got the price, two house points. And we went with that learning. And that, that, that's the kind of thing that we need to do. Now, if I said to him, right now, write about that, that not a chance what's there would be no point to write about that so yeah we need to make sure that our curriculum suits the children but also remember our families too we need to make sure that families are part of the children's learning journey which covid sadly has stopped that happening as much if if i could change anything um i would try and involve parents more and more in the school day I think that that will be something to, to develop further. I think that one of the things that at the moment that parents are struggling with is that after lockdown, lots of schools have stopped parents coming into school in the mornings. And I can see the reasons why, and that there has been some um, reductions in things like uh, separation anxiety, but it's the reduction of separation anxiety in the classroom just moved to outside now. So, I think involving parents more in, in the children's education so that they feel part of it. We've talked about teams, so the children feeling part of a team, staff feeling part of a team. I think parents need to feel part of that team as well. That's so interesting because that chapter that I was referring to was about parents' perceptions of the children's friendships. Yeah. It came from a study originally where I was just going to interview some staff and also work with some children about their perceptions. And as I was doing the interviews, parents kept, you know, members of staff were saying, oh, parents find it hard with this or that or the other. Mm -hmm. And I thought, actually, the voice of parents is missing here. 
So I intentionally did these interviews with parents because I thought how difficult it is for a parent if their child comes home and says, I've had this challenge with a friend today and the child, your child will tell you, but sometimes you get like part of a story or you get their perception on something and then you're trying to support them at home, not knowing the full context. And then, and then you've got the teacher that's got 30 children and trying to sort of, you know, support your child from a distance with things can be quite tricky, can't it? Absolutely. Um, so I just think it's really interesting that you're saying about involving parents, and I can really see the benefits of that, particularly to children's friendships. I, I think that because there are some parents that have not seen their children's classroom, so they don't know the learning environment, they don't know what happens, and quite naturally, when you don't know what's happening, you make up your own narrative about things, and I think sometimes that's, that's what happens. We're all guilty of that. It's natural to do those kinds of things. And, and me, myself, having children myself, what you're doing is you're sending your most precious thing in the world to somewhere where you don't know or somewhere where you, you've not seen. Schools are, are, are lovely places to be. The staff in school want to be in school because they love working with children. I, I always think that you wouldn't, be, you wouldn't work in a school if you didn't love working with children. So parents need to remember that. But still, if you're sending your most precious thing in the world to somewhere where you don't know, you don't know what's happening, and they're, they're having some disagreements or some difficulties, it's hard for you to kind of help them. It's hard for, for parents to regulate their emotions. It's hard for them not to feel stressed about things. It's hard for them not to pass that stress on to the children about it. So I, I think we just need to make sure we are embracing our community and working with our community, work, working with parents and having our parents as much as we possibly can in school. And we're starting to do that now with, with parents coming in for uh, reading mornings and things like that. I don't think it can get back to how it was because the world has changed and we need to change with the world, but we need to think of more creative ways to involve our parents so they know what's happening with their children in school. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Oh, thank you. I've enjoyed and it. I think nice you are an inspirational role model. I really do. You know, when you were talking about feelings and regulating and all of those things, I just thought, what a role model you are. So it's fantastic. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Thanks. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information on Karen's research and other related podcasts, please visit https colon forward slash forward slash research dot shu dot ac dot uk forward slash friends. This podcast was made possible by a fellowship opportunity funded by Sheffield Hallam University. Music